Hey, what do you say we light this candle and get started? Are you ready to go? I'm ready to go. All right. I'll stop reading my notes, I guess. Welcome to episode eight of the Star Bros podcast. I am joined by my bro host, Ben Skywalker. And I'm joined by my bro host, Jan Solo. It's great to be here, dude. Great to have you back. Um, it's great to remember to say bro host this time. Yeah, yeah. We're getting the hang <laughs> of things. Um, dude, this this is the episode that a lot of folks have been waiting for. This is your episode. My episode? It is my episode. You're right. I didn't even think of that. One, right? I didn't even think of that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, it is kind of my episode. I'm pumped about it. One of my favorite characters in the whole Star Wars universe. We'll talk about his origin story and stuff like that. But hey, first and foremost, how are you doing, dude? Dude, I'm fine. Like this, I told you beforehand, this has turned into like my favorite day of the week mm-hmm. to come and record this. I could barely focus today just thinking about what we were going to talk about. <laughs> not just the movie, but uh, there was actually some good stuff that was happening in the Twitterverse, believe it or not. And what else? Yeah, there's some good news that we can talk about, like squadrons and things. So I'm excited to get to all this. Yeah, we have a bunch of good things to share with you guys uh, this episode. Um, Not to say that we don't other episodes, but but this one we've got some uh, exclusive reviews on squadrons from our our bro hosts at Broaxium, Chris Ryans and Daniel Miller. And we'll be sharing those in a little bit. So, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to branch out into other media. So we've begun with the movies. Um, we've talked a bit about uh, the novels uh, and the expanded universe in the novels and things like that. Uh, now we're going to get into a little bit deeper on the video games, which I hope to do more of in the future. Yeah. And we're starting to get educated about comic books. Yes. That'll be something we'll save for the end because we had a wonderful trip down to the city. Well, the, the ride was a bit long, but that's Philadelphia traffic for you. Uh, but we got to the comic book store and just had a blast talking to Chris and getting to know him. And it was, yeah, you know, we've been chatting back and forth in our, our little uh, Facebook Messenger group for a while. It felt like just meeting an old friend again. I don't know how it felt for you, but that's how it felt for me. Like, I felt like I already knew Chris and we were just getting off to a, a good start in person. That's all. Yeah, dude, I agree. Um, and, and we were talking, so we covered a lot of ground with Chris, who... Um, is one of the, one of the bro hosts again. He's one of the co-founders of Broaxium. He's a comic uh, book connoisseur and a comic book connoisseur and a terrific sort of tour guide through the world of comic books. Like we're we're pretty green. I'm not all that familiar with the the genre even of comic books. And uh, Chris did a terrific job of showing us around, uh, showing us. Uh, I'm laughing because there's in any bookstore you see those little markers that it's a staff pick. Yeah, and people have their staff picks their 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 favorite series or their favorite superhero character, or whatever. And I asked Chris, I said, "What's your staff pick?" And he spread out his arms, and his arms sort of bookended the Star Wars section, the canon Star Wars section. I think that's right. Did he? Yeah, did yeah, he, yeah. Did he include Legends too? Oh, he might have. But he I, might have. But his reaction, he just, he just didn't even flinch. He was just no. like, all this, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, that's enough said. So um, to get to get back to your earlier question, uh, you know, we we covered a lot of ground. We talked about a lot of things, but one of the things that I think Chris sort of really kind of hit the nail on the head with was we were talking about 
our aspiration to one day go to celebration and meet all the folks that listen to the star bros meet other podcasters who we really like and other people with youtube channels who we're fans of and things like that and chris is one of those lucky people who's been to a celebration yeah and he's been to celebration since Braxium started. So he's had that experience of wearing a Braxium shirt and having people scream at you and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. you're in the Beatles. Um, but he said something that really resonated with me. He was like, you walk in there and you're around your people. And that's how Chris made me feel. When I walked in that comic book store, I felt like Chris was my people. Yeah. And so I, I, it was just, we're, we're going to get way more into that, by the way. I don't want to steal the thunder of our last spoiling segment spoiling the end at the beginning what yeah. are we doing i'm just excited about the episode i'm excited about all the different parts of this episode I, yeah me too no, no it's, it's totally fine to go there but we need to ask one more question how are you doing bro i'm, I'm doing great okay I, good <laughs> <laughs> i feel like um there's been a lot of cool stuff going on recently uh people have really been engaging with us uh through twitter uh we we've gotten some email finally that yeah. isn't isn't spam uh, that isn't an ad to, uh, you know, get an accounting degree from some online university or something. Somebody actually what kind of spam are you getting, man? <laughs> I'm getting something way worse than that. Uh, no, it was from a good friend, a uh, friend of uh, of ours, Chris, who yeah. sent us a little email and and ended up, I think, being our first email that we've gotten from a fan in our inbox, at least. And, yeah. Uh, he gave us a great idea for an episode. A great to, idea. Yeah, to talk about all the different. Uh, so yes. like what are these? these are like the blurgs of the universe the, the banthas the yep. uh the rancors right the wampa uh, wampas there you go yep there's so many that we can talk about so i think that's a great idea that we'll that we'll put a pin in and, and do in a future episode so be on yeah. the lookout for that and it, it was funny because earlier this week i was putting together a list of all of our episode ideas and dude we got so many we're gonna be at this for a while i hope so i hope we're at it for a good long time yeah i got like i think 50 written down probably more so and it's just gonna keep growing so we got a lot of content to bring to you and not enough time (laughs) and and now now the holiday season is bearing down upon us which i don't know about you dude like i i love the summer as we get into fall i love the fall as it starts to cool off here in, in the philly area and then when the holidays hit there's I think a ton of exciting Star Wars stuff to look forward to. Like obviously on, well, I don't know about this year. This year could be a little bit different, but on Halloween, people tend to go all out. Um, Cosplay comes home, so to speak, and people unveil these detailed Mandalorian armors that they've been working on for like six months or since last Halloween or whatever. So we'll see those all over Twitter and on the internet and things like that. Then obviously the next big holiday, do you know what I'm going to say? Life Day? Wookiee Life Day. Yeah. (laughs) We did not plan this, if you cannot tell. <laughs> Which, by the way, you 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 pointed something out to me uh, this week that I think is worth kind of calling out. So t- so typically, you know, as fans, we're pretty forgiving. Like we we love the Star Wars universe, and um, we we generally give it a lot of room to experiment and create cool stuff. And we're we're rarely, I think, critical. I think we're fair, but I don't think we're like really too harsh. Uh, moment this week, you. You asked me, hey, on your your page-a-day Star Wars calendar, so I have one of those page-a-day calendars where every day you rip off the page, and then there's a new Star Wars character, planet, ship, weapon, whatever, and you said, hey, go skip ahead to November 17th and tell me if it says Life Day, and it did not, <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> 
<laughs> you were so disappointed. I was really I, disappointed. I, I'm not that surprised. I feel like the uh, Christmas special, they just want to put it out it's of their sort mind. It's sort of buried. It didn't happen. It's kind of embarrassing. So we just forget it happened. So for us, we're excited to talk about it and live it this year. But there's probably some fans that are in the same boat as us. There's just not. Star Wars itself is excited about that, or Lucasfilm, I should say. <laughs> you, you know, you know when um, they'll post something on their social media account. I'm sure. I hope. I, I hope so. I hope so. Um, hopefully, the you know the shot of uh, Chewbacca in his red robe or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, I was thinking, you know, when you see files become declassified about like UFOs or something, and it's like a Xerox of a redacted page where you can only see like every fourth or fifth word. I feel like that's like the Wookiee Life Day file at Lucasfilm. <laughs> it's just this redacted thing, and you this actually did not need... happen. We won't even make mention of it. Just right. don't ask. You need you need George Lucas, Dave Filoni, and Kathleen Kennedy all have three separate keys. They have to turn at the same time <laughs> to unlock the vault to push the button to release the Wookiee Life Day files. Otherwise, wow. you know, it's it's all in the dark web. Probably <laughs> we've gone pretty far with this one. all you did was you asked me how i was doing <laughs> that's all i did and i'm almost regretting it now just kidding uh, <laughs> never yeah, would i regret I, I'm, that I, I'm, I'm really excited um people keep telling us how relaxing our show is so i'll try not to be too amped up here but i'm really pumped about this episode yeah so let's get into it how about yeah, that so we got that. some news to talk about first this week uh within our first sec- segment from around the galaxy and only two real things that we thought we would talk about first is that Squadrons has arrived. A lot of our friends, like our bro, friends at Broaxium, have started to play it. And I would say most, if not all, of the feedback that I've been seeing and hearing is very positive. Now, we'll remind our listeners, we have not yet played it. Right. We are the type that likes it to get out there, fix the first bugs that they experience and see what happens. I I'll, I'll use I keep using the example of the Avengers game that came out not too long ago and they're already experiencing some issues where people are falling off the bandwagon. They they've had some glitches and issues with with how it's performed and and being able to play the characters that you want to play and getting into multiplayer. So, it's been so difficult that they've actually seen a dip in who's playing. And for a multiplayer experience like that game is, that's it's bread and butter. That's what it's there to do is make it this immersive experience with your friends online. And that's exactly what Squadrons is. So I wanted to just make sure, and I'm happy to hear and share that it's positive and that enough players are there and there are people that are keeping it alive. And more importantly, it doesn't sound like there's any bugs. Like EA actually learned its lesson, didn't do the microtransactions this time. So I'm excited to now buy this. Really? And get it myself. So I, I will definitely be getting it. Um, dude, it's, it's bad that I'm surprised that they didn't do the microtransactions thing. No, I, I honestly think that the industry learned its lesson from that and realized you cannot do the pay to play thing. People, people are are just not accepting that anymore. Why would a game is meant to just be played and enjoyed? If I bought your game, then I want to see it to the end. Don't make me pay more to see it yeah. through and, and to really get the and, full enjoyment out of it. And almost almost exponentially more than what the game actually costs. Like I remember somebody yeah. did the math of, um, I think it was if you bought everything in Battlefront or maybe Battlefront 2, I don't recall. But yes, just some bro on Twitter went through and looked at the cost of absolutely everything. And uh, it was it was in the thousands of dollars. That's insane. For you know a $50 game. So I, I get why they tried it, but it, it's good that they're backing off of it. Yeah, totally. So happy to see that it's actually doing well. Uh, we've got reviews, though, to share from our own guys at Bro Axiom, yeah. 
who were kind enough to give us both a written word that we will share with you from mm-hmm. Chris, and then a recorded message from our bro D- Daniel. So yeah, so let me um, I'm I'm pulling this up right now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna read uh, what I would consider a a very honest and forthcoming review from Chris Ryan's, who is at Chris Ryan's on Twitter and uh, at Broaxium on Twitter. I am a terrible pilot, but I've had a ton of fun flying in this game. Like previous Star Wars games, for me, the story and characters are the highlight over game mechanics, graphics, etc., which are all top shelf, no doubt. The lore that's embedded in the game is what draws me in. From Grace, the rebel pilot, who's an estranged member of the Sinar family, and and in parentheses here, he's got uh, Sinar fleet systems, maker of TIE fighters and other Imperial ships. Okay, I'm glad you put that in there, Chris, because I wouldn't have known that. I don't think a lot of our fans would have known that. Okay, so she's a rebel pilot who comes from the family that is making big bucks selling these warships to the Empire. War profiteers. Wow. What's that? War profiteers, basically. War profiteers. Wow. That's a good call, Chris. Thanks for pointing that out. So Keo, uh, a totally Force-sensitive pilot to Seoul on the Imperial side, whose parents were senators during the Empire's reign and wants to see the Senate return, and Shen, who's more machine than man at this point, and so much more. I hope we get DLC missions that expands on their, their stories. Maybe a B-Wing fighter. That'd be nice. All in all, a great game. Great addition to the current lineup of Star Wars games. Great but complicated at times controls. Fleet mode is awesome, as long as it's against the AI. Again, terrible pilot here. Don't forget. Hopefully the Baraxium squad will get to fly together someday soon. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for uh, submitting that review. That's good stuff. Yeah, we will definitely fly with you soon. I What I love about that review is he's pointing out that he's not the greatest at this game, and you don't have to really be good at it to enjoy it, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I hate those kind of games where it's like, I don't enjoy it unless I become the best that I can at it. Mm-hmm. Like I want to obviously challenge myself and become better, but if that's not possible, if I just want to see what the story is, then... Let me be able to get to the end, right? right? So that's what I like about that. I like the character pieces that he pointed out. Yeah, and just to maybe immerse yourself in a cockpit and be able to look around and go, I'm in space. And just soak it in. And, yeah, exactly. And, and just sort of feel the vibe of what it might be like to be there and, and flying that ship. But also, like, I, I really appreciate that Chris has this intense depth of knowledge and he makes connections when it comes to Star Wars stuff. So when he plays that game, I would love to see it through his eyes because he's seeing stuff that, you know, typically people wouldn't pick up on. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's exciting. Uh, let's pass the mic over to our, bu- uh, our bro Daniel now and say see what he has to say about the game. Uh, I, I think has a slightly different take. A slightly different one, yeah. So that's that's why we always get two reviews if we can, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daniel, take us away. What's going on, Ben? Jan, how you guys doing? And I said his name right this time. Also, hi everybody out there in Starbro land. So... This is my take on Star Wars Squadrons. Have you ever wanted to just hop into your favorite X-Wing or a TIE fighter or a U-Wing or any of the other cool starfighters that you have seen in the Star Wars movies and fly around and just look at all the cool plant, just like all the cool stuff and, and also shoot things and blow stuff up? Well, say no more. Star Wars Squadrons, you can do that. You can jump in fly around, look at all the cool stuff. I know Chris Ryans, he loves doing that. Um, But me, personally, I like to blow stuff up. So it's got something for everyone. So also, for those people who are beginners, 
the mechanics, the, the the game like controls aren't that difficult. So I, I and also the game is only forty bucks. So I would definitely, if you are a huge Star Wars fan and have always wanted to try it out, hop on Star Wars Squadrons. Dan Miller out. All right, Star Bros in. Star Bros back. <laughs> Dude, I love that. Uh, he's so good at delivering yeah. on anything he's thinking. We, we need to have Daniel on the show at some point. But yeah, my take on what he just said, I love blowing stuff up too. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that seems like it's going to speak to me. Honestly, yeah. so I'll I'll take both. Yeah, no, I I think uh, hey, that's a good combination, right? Like if you can uh, go into the Star Wars universe through uh, one of these uh, starfighters and experience some of the story and the lore and and have that feeling of being in the spaceship, but then also do stuff like uh, you know shoot holes in in you know the Death Star or whatever and, and blow stuff up, then yeah, that that's that sounds like a good time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and only for forty bucks. All right, I'll do that. Yeah, uh, for as long deal. as I can. All right, so. Thank you, by the way. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Um, yes. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, contribute those reviews. Uh, it's very, very, very tempting to buy the video game, and we will at some point in the not-too-distant future. But again, check those dudes out at BroAxium on Twitter. Uh, they've got a dynamite YouTube channel, and and all of their content is fantastic. Yeah. So uh, next piece of news is that on October 13th, was is that yesterday? I don't even know what day it is. Uh, sure. Yep, it was yesterday. We're recording this on a Wednesday. That was Tuesday. Uh, Pablo Hidalgo, for those who don't know who he is, has the most coveted job at Lucasfilm where he's essentially in charge of all of the kind of extra story beats. And I, I, we got to find out what the actual title is. But he's, he's basically one of the head creative guys uh, in charge of the story and the Do lore you- and the timelines and everything that's happening in the galaxy so that we can keep it all straight. It's how, a pretty though? important job, right? How? how? How do you get that job? I don't know. I have my resume ready, so if they want to take it, I'll give it to them. I like, wonder if he kind of grew up there. You know, sometimes those people who end up in those senior positions, um, those coveted positions where they have, like, creative power uh, are people that were, like, groomed for years and years and years. You know, that would be a really interesting episode just to do the people behind Star Wars. Like, yeah. we talk about the George Lucases, the Kathleen Kennedys, right, the... Uh, uh, Kasdan's right. Um, we don't really talk about some of those that are more in like the costume design or the, the Pablo Hidalgo's maybe who are really critical to what happens in star Wars, but don't get all the credit or don't get their name plastered on the billboards. Right. Mm-hmm. So that would be really interesting. And I give, pay homage to them and give them a little bit of spotlight and show all the good work that they do. Yeah. Cause it, it's totally well-deserved. My, my main question is, um, I saw somebody uh, tweeted a picture today of George Lucas with Aiden Christensen on, I think, the Phantom Menace set. And he was wearing, George Lucas was wearing a cowboy hat. <laughs> and we've discussed Dave Filoni's uh, love of cowboy hats and, and, and I guess sort of Western attire. Yeah. Does Pablo Hidalgo have a cowboy hat? I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen him in one, but it doesn't mean he doesn't have one. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's kind of, he's got a, a little beard, I think. Uh, does he have, um, one of those t-shirts where the wolves are howling at the moon? <laughs> Dude, I don't know. <laughs> uh, we'll have to look up some pictures later and okay. find out. Actually, while I'm sharing what this is, why don't you look up some pictures and confirm I'm on if, it. He, if he does this. So, uh, the news is that Pablo Hidalgo wrote another book for us to read through this week. He's wrote, written so many 
of the books that I have on my shelf, which include the visual dictionaries, uh, mostly uh, some of the cross-sectional books that he's that have been released by Lucasfilm uh, through DK Books, I believe. And this one is called Fascinating Facts. So there are some very fascinating things in it, and I haven't gotten the chance to buy it yet myself. Uh, I do have it on my wish list, but... Uh, I did take to Twitter to see what it was that people were saying and how they were reacting to this new book. And I will say it's pretty mixed. Uh, people decided to get fixated on a few different things in there, but then there were actually some pretty interesting facts that were in there. So I do look forward to getting this one day, but I will say, given some of the apparent mistakes that might've been in there. Can, can you give me an example of one? Yeah. Yep. I got them all here. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> uh, so, for example, originally, apparently in Last Jedi, there's a lot of Last Jedi in it for some reason. I don't know if they were trying to defend things in there for those that have decided to raise a lot of uh, ire with it. But who knows? But apparently at one point in the original script, Finn and Rose on Cantobite were actually going to meet up with the Master Codebreaker. We never actually get to see the Master Codebreaker beyond just like one line, right? Uh, they were actually going to go on a little heist with him oh. throughout Canto Bite. So he had a little bit of a bigger role, which I oh. thought was interesting. Uh, what else? <laughs> One of my favorites. So George originally kind of penned episode seven and who this character is that ends up becoming the main heroine of the story. Uh, and her original name in the scripts. Oh, I heard this. Yeah. Started with Taryn. And then it was Thea. And then... <laughs> Hopefully not for very long. Winky, <laughs> and that's I mean, where Wink, Twitter Winky lost is a it. ghost in Pac-Man. I think, right? Maybe. Maybe. I think it means much worse in some slang in, in American and British dialect, and that's why people were going, "Wait, wait, what? wait!" You wanted to. We're Winky not going to talk about bad? it on a family show. What's that's that? something bad. Oh, Winky? yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay. We'll we'll have we'll have the talk after this. I'm, I'll add it to my things to Google. <laughs> By the way, the Hidalgo. Don't Google it. The I'll yeah I won't, I won't Google it on my work computer or anything. No. The the Hidalgo is a style of cowboy hat. How ironic is that? That's I can't find funny. a picture of him. Is that why your mind went to it? <laughs> no, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, I Google Pablo Hidalgo. I did what you asked me to do. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> I, tried, I tried to find pictures of him in a cowboy hat, and um, I found pictures of cowboy hats. But no but, luck. <laughs> no. <laughs> now I'm going to Google Winkies and maybe put safe search mode on. <laughs> Please. Yeah. And never take it off. I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. So okay. let's move on. So she was not. Let's move on. <laughs> then apparently her name became Sally for a little bit. Sally. And, and Finn, his, his name was Harry for a little bit. Get it? <laughs> when Harry met Sally. All right. Moving on. And okay, then well, we, we were we were talking about um, uh, you know foreshadowing a little bit to Solo. It's weird that Tobias Beckett's name is Tobias Beckett because that's a human Earth name. What? Like Tobias Beckett? Oh yes, 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 yes. Th- that could be your neighbor. Uh, it's it's yeah. just not very spacey. It's not from. It doesn't seem like it's from a galaxy far, far away. And neither does Sally. And neither no. does Harry. And neither <laughs> no. does Winky. Which is probably why they get changed. But. <laughs> Anyway, you're exactly right, though. It isn't as, what is it, Star Wars-y as you would expect yeah, it to be. Yeah, it's just not as spacey or alien. And yeah. by, by the way, I, I'm, I'm stuck on this. Um, <laughs> so about 10% of the people who listen to this podcast, based on the metrics that we have access to, which probably not everything, uh, you know, we, it's probably not all the detail we would want, are from the UK. Are they going to think Winky is funny? 
the Americans will too. They will? Yes. What don't I know? I don't know. Carry on. Sorry. Keep going. Um, so anyway, then uh, then her name went to Kira, which we did know, and that eventually becomes the name of the character oh, in Solo, yeah. right? So yep. originally she was being thought of as Kira. And then Echo, and then finally Ray. So the name went through a lot of iterations mm. before it landed on Ray. And I probably would say out of all those, Ray is my favorite. And that's a bit biased, sure, true. But if I look at other names that are on this list, I would go with Ray first. Yeah, I, I really like it too. All right, so moving on from that one. Gosh, I can't see why this is sparking any conversation on the interwebs. <laughs> uh, that one sparked a lot of conversation. Just just go look up some memes. They're, okay. they're out there. Apparently, George Lucas originally had Luke dying in episode seven, uh, eight. Yeah, yeah, I heard this. Wow. That was actually part of it. So that's where I think, like, were they putting that to defend some of the decisions they made in yeah. Last Jedi? Uh, I mean, they don't have to defend it to me. I loved mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there were people that didn't like that Luke died. George Lucas intended that to happen. So it helps to maybe alleviate that pain for some people, but I doubt it did. Twitter was talking about that one a lot. I think the one they talked the, about the most, though... There's still people who say that, you know, George is wrong with some of the creative decisions he's taken. And it's oh, like... sure. Yeah, but the that guy's brain is where all of this started. If it weren't for his brain, we wouldn't have any of this. So let's let him do what he's doing because we like it. Now, he should have gotten a little bit more help with things like maybe writing the script or something, but... What do you mean? Like some of the dialogue? Well, some of the dialogue, like that was the biggest critique, which I partially agree with, with the uh, prequel trilogy was some of the dialogue wasn't the best. Yeah. If you had someone Or, or else... the original trilogy, some of it was pretty clunky. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. I, I can look past some of those things, personally. It, it, it almost becomes like a hallmark of those movies. Like it feels authentic when there's a little clunk that goes along with it. Yeah. And, and nothing is perfect. No movie is perfect. I mean, someone can fight me on that one, but yeah, yeah. Uh, they're all creative decisions at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. Um, all right. So one of the other ones that I think has really sent the Twitterverse all a flutter was there was this whole timeline basically showing Kylo Ren's life and Luke's life. Mm-hmm. And some of the, the years didn't match up with when it said that, Kylo Ren showed up at Luke's temple and on Luke's timeline when it said that Kylo Ren showed up at Luke's temple like it said it was at a specific age and then when you did the math to like the next event which was Kylo Ren destroying the temple the math didn't add up it was like one said 16 years the other one said 13 years and so so little oversights like that maybe it's like Jeremy Baramis or something (laughs) they're on separate timelines that should be a goal of every episode to drop a good place reference (laughs) or an arrested development one I don't care I'll take either (laughs) there are dozens of us anyway but apparently the one that people are really getting upset about was it shows that Luke had died at age 53 which how old's Mark Hamill by the way much older than that I was gonna say okay so late 60s if not that's what I thought all right but go ahead. So he dies at 53. He dies at 53. And then it shows Rip at age 54 that he shows up to Ray. And everyone went, wait, Force Ghost can age? <laughs> and this is the moment where my hand meets my forehead. Where I just <laughs> like, come on, guys, think. No, he does not age. But everyone is so upset about this. Like, why are you saying that he isn't he just 53? Yes, his body is dead. It's 54 years after he was born. Thank you. And he's still experiencing life, but now through the force yeah. as a force ghost. So it's, he's not 54. In, okay. It's, why not, do like I have he, to it's not like this? the ghost is like, 
in only six years, I can ride the bus for free. <laughs> <laughs> or, oh, I'll be able to get my veterans discount soon. <laughs> no, can it's get just, veterans discounts as a Force Ghost. Anyway, let's let's move on. It's he's just fifty four years after he was born. I, I yeah. that's the one that I saw multiple times on Twitter. I, I might have retweeted it just because I thought it was a little bit silly and funny with the reaction. I, I'm not mad at that. Some no. people are angry. They were angry. Well, and some of them were, again, getting very personal in their attacks at Pablo and saying he shouldn't have this job. I think they're just trying to get his job. He maybe. shouldn't but, have this job. Yeah, he shouldn't be responsible <laughs> for this. Like, okay, how many mistakes have you made on your job? You know, right. and, but there are some things that I look at like, come on do the math between some of those things, but that's why I'll wait for the second edition. Maybe Yeah, I'm still excited by some of these other very interesting points in here. So I will get this at some point. If you're interested in getting books like that, check it out, go to your local bookstore, support them. They need it right now. And uh, pick this one up. Let us know what you think. Yeah, please do. All right. And by the way, if people want to get in touch with us and let us know what they think, what are some ways they could do that? Uh, you, all right, I'll do the email because I never remember okay, the Twitter go for handle. It. So the Star Bros podcast at gmail.com. Like we said, we really want to hear from you and uh, hear what you think of the podcast. Ask us questions. Maybe we'll feature you as part of one of our fandom segments one day. Uh, and you can do the same on Twitter where you can reach us at? At Star Bros podcast. Why can't I remember that? Just remove uh, the. That's right. I'll, I'll, I'll handle that part. You handle the email. Okay. I can, that, that's a good way to break this up moving forward. <laughs> how do we get, how about we get to our next segment? The yeah. More to the story segment. Oh my we've gosh. We've got some great stuff to talk about. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, and um, we know that a lot of fans out there of the Star Wars universe are really hungry for an ongoing conversation about Solo. There's the huge hashtag make Solo 2 happen movement which is genuinely huge. There's thousands and thousands of people on Twitter who love this first movie so much that they just want to see the story going. They want to see what happens to Kira. Um, a lot of people want to see what happens to Kira and what the story is oh there. Oh my gosh. Um, More than anything, I want to know the story of Kira moving forward and yeah. a bit of the past too. Like there's a three-year gap where I think we do get a little bit of detail of what happens over in other, other mediums, but I want to see it. Yeah, she's a fascinating character. You, you've been really explore. consistent with that too. You you've mm-hmm. been you've been really curious about hey what happens here. Where oh, I've been go? curious about her since, since day one. Yeah, because she's it, she's a very complex character, and I like complex characters ones that aren't just you know what you see is what you get, and the person you see on the screen is is who they are. Yeah, right. If there's more that you need to explore and learn about that person, then I want to know a little bit more. That that by the way is uh, a definition that I've heard for literature. Some mm. some people talk about uh, books like uh, like beach reading, and uh, the distinction that I heard recently was that literature is defined by the complexity of the character. Yeah, a lot of times in like beach reading, it's just like, all right, this is a detective, and he he's just this person, and then this is the girl he likes, and she's sort of flat and two dimensional or whatever. The characters in this movie, even though it's an action movie. Are, are pretty complex and Kira's totally. I think the best example of that totally is and and I think Solo is a bit too which we'll talk about and Enfys Nest and you know as, as I think Nest. about it you know maybe I'll dial that back there's really really complex characters in this movie really complex ones and once I, I mean Tobias Beckett I've heard a lot of people say you know what I'm good with what I got thank yeah. you very much but there is still a lot of backstory like they drop an easter egg in this one where apparently he kills Aura Singh and for our fans that don't know you who pointed that, that is, out to me yeah she's is um is kind of just 
pictured in Phantom Menace at one point, and then her whole story is built on in the Clone Wars, and you get to see a lot more of of her, and I, I would imagine in some other mediums too. But she's just a a mercenary, or no? What's what's the word I'm looking for? A bounty hunter mm-hmm. that is infamous throughout the galaxy, very mm-hmm. dangerous, and Tobias Beckett is the one that ends her. Yeah, so he's it's pretty big dangerous too, and. There's probably a lot of adventures that he goes on, and I'd like to see more of those. So there's cool. all these characters have backstories that we don't get to hear more about. Yeah. Even Rio that dies really early in the movie. Yeah, people love Rio. I love them. They're really good characters. Yeah. We don't get to see them for much, but there's more to their story. Yeah. And I would love to explore them more one and, day. And then that's what this segment is. Um, <laughs> and so if you haven't guessed already, we're talking about Solo, a Star Wars story. A, a movie that was sort of packaged and planned along with the release of the sequel trilogy. Maybe we can begin by talking about the making of this movie because yes. the way that it was made was sort of non-traditional, didn't go smoothly. The release, I, I think to this day, people consider it a commercial failure. It is a commercial failure in terms of that it is the first Star Wars movie to experience a loss. Yeah. And and I, I think since then I think it's it's sort of clawed its way back a little bit, but yeah, there, but, there is nothing better for a movie than to distance itself from its release date, mm-hmm. because what happens is the same thing that happened to me. I actually love this movie more than I than I did after my first, second, third watch. Let a few months go by and you know, pop it in. Had some other things I was watching. All of a sudden, watch it this time as we're preparing for this episode, and my love for it has grown so much just because. I'm watching it from a new angle and I'm thinking about it differently. The hype is gone. Mm-hmm. And and one of the worst things that ended up happening to this movie was it was released just five months after Last Jedi. It was really quick. You're right. And a lot of people are still kind of shaken up by Last Jedi. I mean, I think you and I loved it immediately. Yeah. And I think there's a little bit of head scratching for me at first, but then like it just I kept peeling back the layers and I got really into it. But there are a lot of people who were sort of soured on Star Wars for a little bit, at least not ready just that soon. And it was coming out like three weeks after Infinity War, which was taking all the hype away. And so it was everyone was going to see Infinity War. And you figured three weeks is enough time to let that die down. It was. But then Deadpool came out the exact same weekend as that Deadpool 2, I think. And it stole its thunder. Mm-hmm. You know, even as an R-rated movie, it stole the thunder of the PG-13, which is supposed to attract the bigger crowd. Yeah. So it didn't really have the best environment that it was uh, released under. And I think that contributed to it. But The Last Jedi was probably the biggest one. And that was accidental. I don't think Lucasfilm anticipated the backlash that they would get for that. Right. And it caused a lot of people to not want to go and see this one. Yeah. Which is such a disappointment to this this movie because it is very good it is a bit closer to like a popcorn flick where it's like that was good i enjoyed watching that but there's nothing about it that makes me go star wars fans are gonna hate this right they're gonna there are a couple decisions which i know star wars fans really didn't like we'll get to but it was uh just unfortunate that the backlash of last Jedi just fell over onto this one too yeah it was unmerited i think yeah i i agree um it's it's a movie that i've grown to love even more over time but it's it's a movie that wasn't made smoothly, right? There right. there was a lot of changes along the way. I think the first thing I heard about that was uh, when Ron Howard was tapped to take over for the original directors after yeah, Lord and Miller were the original directors, right? right. A- after um, I think just irre- irreconcilable creative differences or something was cited. That's what they said, and you got to understand, like Lord and Miller have a style, like they've done 
some of the things that I've seen. Last Man on Earth, a TV series that they did, uh, which is good. It's fine. It, it's fun, but it's, it's just that. Uh, the Lego movie, they've done a lot of animated. Uh, oh. Into the Spider-Verse was oh. them. Oh, that was really good. Yeah, they've done a lot of good stuff, but their style in directing is more improv. Mm-hmm. And it works in certain situations. Like that definitely works for a comedy, especially one like last man on earth where they could just riff. They could just have fun and whatever happened, happened. That's if they liked it, they, they took that take. Yeah. But that wasn't working for such a well-oiled machine like Lucasfilm. Yeah. And I think that's where they ran into those creative differences was they're trying the style that people weren't responding to or wasn't resonating. There was a report at one point that Alden Ironrick, I can never say his name, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Alden, needed acting lessons mm-hmm. and i was like really that's kind of surprising and you look at this how is his acting he he aces it he does so well and he has the monumental task of following in the footsteps of harrison ford and and not doing a harrison ford impression the whole time people exactly. were sensitive to that right so i think he pulled it off so and that's why those mixed reports were just really interesting to hear and it kind of uh dampened the experience but at the same time they pulled it off. They, yeah. This and, is a great movie. <laughs> it, oh, it's terrific. They rescued it and it worked. Um, but so I, I don't know the answer to this. Is there stuff that we see on screen that is their work? And then some of it is Ron Howard's? Like, I believe so. I don't, it'd be interesting to find out what, and maybe there's more information about this out there, about what is theirs and not. I know that Lord Miller saw it. And when they did, they said, that's basically not the movie they had in mind. Okay. And so they didn't feel the need to arbitrage and try to get director's credit for it. Uh-huh. Instead, they took credit as, I think, executive producers Okay. on this and settled with that. I so see. they don't have directing credit. That is all Ron Howard. Yeah. And they didn't feel like they could because the story they saw that Lucasfilm showed them was much different than the one they envisioned. Got so it. Could be interesting one day if people want to know the cut that they were thinking I, I'd of. love to. Yeah. But just, at the same time, this is canon to me. Yeah, you're right. So I'm okay with not seeing it. Like, don't don't mess up canon. Yep, yep, good point. Um, so, hey, let's get into the story. Yeah, um, let's stop sounding like we're negative because it's so good. <laughs> so this, this, this is a movie that a lot of people are hungry for for a couple of reasons. Um, I'll, I'll run down a few things real quick. So people wanted to know Han's origin story. People wanted to know the origin of Han and Chewbacca's uh, friendship, bromance, life debt, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Uh, people wanted to know the backstory of uh, Han and Lando. Uh, yeah. When we run into Lando for the first time on Bespin in Empire, it, it's clear right off the bat that they have some history there. And people people have been curious about that for 40 years, almost. We want to see the, the origin story of the Millennium Falcon and the Millennium Falcon changing hands. Yep. I think those are probably some of the biggest ones. And... Well, that's oh. what I think the audience was expecting. Yes. Right. They were expecting to see how he got the Millennium Falcon because we knew that he won it from Lando fair and square, as we learned in the Empire. Mm-hmm. And there was one more, the Kessel Run. The Kessel Run. You're right. Right. You're People right, wanted right. to see this Kessel Run that he did yeah. in 12 parsecs, which is a unit of distance, not speed, right? Yeah. Uh, how did he do this? So, uh, yeah, it, it really addresses all those questions and kind of goes through them almost one by one. Yeah. And... and I don't know. I was really happy with all of it. <laughs> yeah, and and that's it's hallowed ground for Star Wars fans. So I think they had to be really careful in how they built out that story and how they showed you all of those things because they knew that people had been wondering for decades, and that people wanted really 
satisfying answers. Mm -hmm. And you could argue in some cases we got really satisfying answers. I know some people take some issue with some of the things we saw along the way. Um, but dude, maybe we can take it from like the what, top. what, for example? Um, how, how Han Solo gets his name. Yep, I knew you were going to bring that one up. <laughs> <laughs> that was, And unfortunately, that was like one of the first ones yeah. that they threw out there. And it's one that I don't think people were really curious about. Like, how did he get the last name Solo? I think some people were just like, that's his name. Yeah. Right? Or he, that he just goes, you know what? I, I do things my own way, and so I, I adopted the name Solo. But people were mad because it was the Empire that gave him that name. Yeah. Which I don't think he cared about the origin. I think that was a really eye-opening moment for him to see oh yeah you're right i am alone i do my own thing he doesn't care who said that but it was it was a good lesson for him to receive yeah and one of the things that we'll talk about is actually this movie is chock full of lessons for han that mm. are delivered to him by beckett by kira by all these people that he comes in contact with by chewy even and it's how he kind of becomes a person he is and the lessons that he's adopted and we see later on unfold in the film so I, we'll, i'll save that for later yeah i, I totally agree so first, before I forget, I want to mention that we tested out the group watch feature on Disney Plus. Did and uh, I'd never tried it before. It's still fairly new. For any... Chris joined us from Broaxium. Yeah, Chris Ryan's from Broaxium joined us. And for anybody who is not familiar, uh, essentially, this is if you are a Disney Plus subscriber, you go into your Disney Plus app, you put on whatever it is that you want to watch, and there's a little plus button after you click group watch, and you can invite friends to watch with you. Yeah. Um, the functionality is a little bit more limited than what I expected. You're in there. It'll grow over time. What's that? It'll definitely grow over time, I would imagine. Yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think I actually misspoke in a previous episode, too, because I thought that there was a chat function. I, th I thought you could talk to your friends while you're watching the movie. Um, that doesn't exist yet. Uh, all, all you really do is you are all watching it at the same time. So like, it's not like I can pause it, and then you and Chris keep watching it. Um, we're all watching it at the same time. And we can send one of, I think, six emojis to one another. Which you found out how to do that, and I never did. I kept texting you going, why did you do that? I want, <laughs> I want to cry at this moment, too. <laughs> I hit the cry button a few times. You did. Um, yeah. Which actually made me realize, oh, this is kind of a tragic story for Han and for his friends. In yeah. a lot of ways. In, in, in a lot of ways, it is. Um, which, which makes sense, because the backstory of Solo is, is kind of a tragic one. It, it's not it's not a happy start to things no. it's not a happy story uh in in the beginning but um so yeah so we watched a group watch it is still a lot of fun to know that you're especially during quarantine that your two friends are out there uh enjoying the movie alongside with you just not in person yeah. but I, I i was thinking about a couple of things as i was kind of reflecting on this from preparing for the episode one of them i tweeted which was the fact that in my mind first and foremost i view this as an action movie yeah. And I, I don't know if everybody agrees with that. I think you just need to listen to the soundtrack a little bit and you'll pick that up. Like the From the opening call. beat and the opening scene, you see he's in a chase. He's running for his life. Yeah. Right? This is meant to be an action flick from the beginning. And yeah. And there's so many sequences of action throughout it. It's yeah. got drama in it, too. It's got a lot of other stuff. It's, it's got, got a lot of other things. High, right? But it's mostly an action scene, which is great. <laughs> yeah, which which I loved. And you know, I... People say that the people say things about the international language of love and whatever, and like people can kind of fall in love across cultures. And I, I had a professor who pointed out that yes, there is that that's true, but it's not true in cinema because in a lot of the world you are restricted in what you can show in terms of love, in terms of a love story, yeah, in terms of love interests, things like that. Yeah, um, you can't go to 
uh, a movie theater in Saudi Arabia and see a passionate kissing scene, for example. Oh, okay. So the international language of love doesn't translate to cinema, but action does. Hmm. Think about, you know, the, the big days of like Hong Kong action flicks, the Jackie Chan's of the world yeah. and so on. Um, those are movies you like said Jack- Hong Kong and my, my mind went to King Kong. <laughs> I was like, wait, you said that. Oh, I see what you're saying. Never mind. <laughs> so like, uh, you know, but you go to a movie theater in Saudi Arabia and you can see a Jackie Chan movie. Yeah. Um, you can see it in the predominantly Muslim parts of Africa, India and so on. Uh, so it's really, it's really action movies that I think sort of transcend cultures and transcend a lot of taboos and, and things like that because, action is sort of a universal language like the car chase the heart pounding uh train heist things like that um we get all that in this movie but uh, I, I was doing a little bit of research on you know if if there are romance movies if there are action movies like what what basically like what's what are the genres that we're dealing with and where does this fall because i was kind of having this debate with myself about it is this more of a sci-fi movie or is it more of an action movie and um i found a guy named eric williams who is a a, a scholar of screenwriting and of, of films. And he said that there's only 11 genres of movies and some of them are sort of paired up together and, uh, and things like that. But, but basically you can slot any movie in one of 11 genres. There's action, obviously crime, fantasy, horror, romance, sci-fi, slice of life, sports, thriller, war, and Western. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Slice of life. What is that? I don't know. <laughs> Let's not get hung up on it. I'll Google that one while you Google. <laughs> don't Google Winkies. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I, I think of this as an action movie. And to tie back to your point about him learning lessons, I, I think of it as like, hey, this is, this is a young Han Solo. He's not too far removed from his adolescence. Yeah. And adolescence and post-adolescence is a time where you learn stuff the hard way difficult things happen. You have your first breakup, like stuff like that happens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, be, beyond the first heartbreak and things like that, you start to get a little bit wiser, maybe a tiny bit more cynical, things like that, which we see in Han later on and maybe see in Han here a little bit. But I also thought like, there's a lot of kind of like adolescence, post-adolescence in the movie. Oh yeah. Where it's kind of like a shoot 'em up with people who aren't emotionally completely mature, things like that. And there are a lot of adult figures in the life of Han now, mm-hmm. uh, like Beckett, to teach him some of the things that a parent would typically teach him because he doesn't have any parents, as he says in the film. Right? He, he doesn't know them. He actually doesn't even know mm-hmm. what his family name is. Right? He has known nothing but the streets mm-hmm. and a life of crime to just get by. Survival. He's a good guy, but this is the life that he leads. Mm-hmm. And so to him, there's not, it's never really a question of morality. It's a question of survival. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. And, and and to your earlier point about adolescence and kind of learning some of those things, I, I always wondered what it would be like before watching this, this movie, like seeing him with another woman other than Leia. Oh yeah. Right. Because we just know him as being in love with Leia, eventually settling down and having a family with Leia. But we all have the experience. And one of the experiences of life is first love and kind of figuring it out for the first time. And, the heartbreak that can come with it, those, like how to grapple with those feelings and things. And that's what eventually sold me on the relationship between him and Kira was that this is just him learning what love is. Mm. And it's, it looks like it's great. Like these are two people who can relate. They're part of the same gang. 
mm-hmm. right? And doing crime on the street, but they also have a vision for a different kind of life. Yeah. And Kira has an interesting backstory where she's kind of always risen through the ranks of these these crime bosses or crime families, right? I can't remember the full name of these ones. The something worms, the white worms maybe or something. Could be. All I know is it's, the, it's under the uh, watchful eye of the foul Lady Proxima. Yeah, exactly. And she's kind of second in command or like... She's really high within their She's ranks. important. Right? Uh, that's why at one point, Lady Proxima says, don't throw it all away for Han, right? Mm-hmm. Realize what you're doing and that you're in a position that's much better than one he's in. Yeah. And she's willing to throw that away for Han, right? She mm-hmm. she doesn't really care at that point. Fast forward in the film, it changes a little bit because as we see the scene where she gets abducted and Han Solo makes it through, just it kills me every time. Yeah, because uh, I can't imagine what Han's going through at that point. Like, this is the one person I have that I'm going to, you know, escape with and try to make a better life. And in that split second, it's all torn away from him. Yeah. Like, if she gets through, he ends up living a similar life to Urso. Uh, yeah, you know, on a planet somewhere far away, on a farm, trying to live just tranquilly and raising and stay a family, away from this right, peaceful life. And that doesn't happen in that moment just mm-hmm. because she didn't get through at that that split millisecond. Yeah. It's just Har- crazy to believe. Heartbreaking stuff. And and they play that scene perfectly in the way that the door kind of slams shut in between them. That physical yeah. barrier pops up. And that starts, uh, I guess, a, a long period of longing for Han. But to, to go back a little bit, I, I, I had this crazy, crazy experience uh, probably a year after this movie came out. Uh, I've told you about this. Uh, I was in the UK for work and I was in Edinburgh, Scotland specifically. And I was walking down the street and it just worked out that my cousin, who is a tattoo artist, was also in Edinburgh at the time. Hmm. And we ran into each other, ended up meeting up and hanging out. And we talked about Solo. That was one of the things that came up in conversation. We, We talked about a lot that night, but we talked about Star Wars quite a bit. And... Again, he's an artist. He is a visual artist. You know, he paints, he draws, he tattoos. And you know what he said to me about one of the first things he said to me about Solo? What's that? Corellia was beautiful. (laughs) Oh, man. I know. I know. I kind of had the same reaction, but he was just like, look, the aesthetic, the way it was put together, like the industrial griminess, like they nailed it. Oh, yeah. That I agree with. But he was just sort of like swept up in like the visual beauty of it, of, you know, know, some some artists and designers put this together and they absolutely nailed it. Well, he's not wrong. Like it is a beautiful. It's beautifully done. It is beautifully done. But I'm laughing because right before we started recording, I was like, you know what I just realized? Looking at Corellia, especially now that we when we started watching this at the beginning, it's an industrial planet. I lived in a city when I was living in Belgium called Charlevoix, and it was. My first city that I spent time in was there for about three months. It's very Italian. A lot of Italian families there. People of Italian heritage, yeah. I guess. Who... <laughs> and, and I was there during the uh, the World Cup oh. when Italy ended up actually winning and then ended up being in France when the actual uh, the final game was had and, and France lost to Italy and it was not a fun time to be there. But, what, um, what year was that roughly? Uh, 2006. Okay. Yeah, so summer 2006. Okay. And it is an industrial city, Charlecroix is. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the different color smokes that I saw coming out of some of those smokestacks. They Crazy. were green and pink and red, like all these different colors. It was 
very grimy. That must have been Willy Wonka's factory. I was far from Willy Wonka's factory, I can tell you. I will show you pictures later. Like, there is this wall that's actually really cool that goes probably for a good kilometer and a half. And it's just graffiti on the whole wall. It's beautiful graffiti, too. Oh, like, um, like, uh, like really artistic well graffiti. Yes, really well done. And then some little bit rescape, but uh, but it's still really well done. And it's just this kind of grimy city. So when I see Corellia... I think of that. and I, You think I, of your first stop in Belgium. Yeah. And by the way, I love the city because the people there that I met were some of the best people I've ever met. But it is just such a kind of industrial city. And, and I, I kind of get vibes from that when I see Karelia. Got it. Well, I, I don't know a lot of Karelians, but we know Han and we know Kira and they're pretty awesome. Well, and yes, uh, but the vibe that they whenever they bring up Karelia, they're like, why do you want to go back to Karelia? Like, it's got the reputation mm-hmm. in this galaxy for being a bit the of a place mess. you leave like not why the place you go back to it's it's a place you leave exactly uh, the empire is starting to take old they like the resources that they have there and so they're starting to install themselves which means tyranny and and uh you know lack of gall- lawless right they say at the very beginning it's a lawless time right Corellia is right. probably one of the best places that shows how hard it is to live in the galaxy at that time you're right that that's the first thing that comes up in the uh it's not a crawl it's it's because it doesn't it doesn't slide up the screen the same way that a, a crawl does, right? Um, but the first bit of text is that. Yeah, you're right. Right. Um, but l- l- let's flash forward a little bit here. So okay. Han gets himself out of there, separated from Kira, heartbroken. But he has to do it by sort of um, selling himself to the Empire and mm-hmm. volunteering to. Well, he wants to go and be a starfighter pilot, but they throw him in the infantry. And... No, they put, let him be a starfighter first. Okay. Uh, there's a deleted scene where it shows him flying around a TIE fighter and no it's way. not complete, hmm. uh, but it, it does show like he's getting the chance to fly. He crashes and it's really funny to watch because it's like he's he cra- ends up crashing and like, the next scene it shows him with an eye patch <laughs> standing <laughs> in front of a tribunal and basically being kicked out of... Uh, kicked out to the infantry and like um, the next scene after the tribunal is him fighting in on mimbin uh i'm so, grinning from ear to ear <laughs> it's so funny too because he he kind of loses it like he does the exact same thing he did in, with lady proxima he just lets his mouth go a little bit yeah he, he shows that this is innate in his character he uh, he's a, he's a i guess a smuggler and a solo a true solo character through and through he's looking out for number one yeah um, can't be controlled not really good with authority. So I could yeah. see like that, that seems to fit really well, but I, I like the, what they did. I like what they did with the movie. Oh, totally. Totally. There, there's a line that he says at the very beginning, which I think is so good that they put at the beginning because it is the line that defines him as a character and continues to be shown throughout the the movie. He goes, you know what? I don't think I'm ever going to learn. Do you remember that? You're right. He says that out loud and Blade Prox was like, what did you say? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like a mouthy kid. He is. And he never really learns because I then zoom forward like to, to Force Awakens, remember? And he's uh, facing off against the, the two gangs. I'm, I'm forgetting their names right now. But yeah, he, he's lying to them, trying to lie his way out of this uh, this situation that he's in. And is kind of is this the, the wrath tar scene this is the wrath tar scene yeah yeah <laughs> and I'm, I'm thinking head to that now he's like you know what even i think that is 50 years later 40 years later he still hasn't learned yep i think it's 40 years about about 40 yeah you're right yeah but that still him. hasn't learned yep he's not gonna outgrow that nope <laughs> um all right so he, he gets off he gets off of corellia he's on this muddy planet 
who knows where Mimbin is, is the name of it. Mimbin? Mimben. Yeah, like M I M B A N. Oh, Mimbin. Okay. Mimbin. Yeah. Um I missed that at some point, but um so he's on this muddy planet. I, I there's a couple of really good moments there. Uh one of them is I think when he mouths off to one of the officers. He mm-hmm. says something about how it's their planet. What what does he say? We're the hostiles? It's their planet. They were here first. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a good line. It is so good. You can't you can't argue with that logic. You can't, but it also shows for the first time, he's not just a criminal. He is a good guy. Mm-hmm. He really has some moral values and has a backbone too. Yeah, he has so. a that's a good point. That's a good combination too for right. a human being. But he he's sort of up to his knees in the mud on this planet. This is where we run into a number of characters that'll be pivotal for the rest of this story and the rest of the saga. He runs into Tobias Beckett and the gang uh, who are planning this big, crazy heist. Cause again, it's an action movie right. and he meets Chewbacca for the first time. What was it like for you when you saw him meet Chewbacca? Loved that scene. And funny thing is that scene took them three weeks to really? shoot. They were just slopping around in that mud for three weeks. Yeah. And it was cold and damp and wet. And think about Chewbacca. Think about uh, Junus who plays Chewbacca and has to wear that suit. It's already a heavy suit. Mm -hmm. And apparently with the mud, it added even more weight to it. So he had to be in peak physical condition to wear that suit and act in it and do the things that he was doing. In the cold as well. And you know how your motor functions just basically freeze and, and stop when it gets cold. Uh, apparently, they told the story about when his Jonas's mom visits on set, takes like a couple looks in there, is there for a few minutes. He's like, you know what? I've seen enough. I'm going to go. <laughs> I'll wait for the movie to come. <laughs> yeah. So that was the first... That was the first thing that they shot in making Solo. No way. That was, wow. And it took them three weeks. And all the other actors just kept going in. They're like, I'm so sorry for you. Because <laughs> it looked so miserable. Dude, I'm, I'm thinking back to what I was doing three weeks ago. And just imagining the whole time being in a mud pit since then. <laughs> I know, right? right? Remember when we started this this whole quarantine? Like being in quarantine for three weeks felt like a long time. It felt like an eternity. Right? Think of yeah. that just being in this mud pit. So back to answer your question, love this scene. Like this is exactly how I imagine the meeting where they're almost, they're at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Right? One is the, the victim and, and one is the, the beast that's going to, you know, rip his arms out of his sockets, which... Uh, I'm so glad that we actually get a scene where he does that finally, <laughs> right. <laughs> right, later on in the film. And I I look at that scene and I think, you know, this is really cool that that they came together in such a way in this moment where Han's basically just pleading for his life yep. and uses his ability to speak to Chewie in his dialect yep. as a way to get out of it. Like, he's shocked. Like, you can, you can understand me and speak my language, <laughs> right? So... Personally, I really like it, and I like the part where Han calls him a Kashikian move milker. <laughs> so <laughs> that's good too. What did you think? Yeah, no, I loved it too. Uh, I, I love that, like you said, they're at odds uh, at first, and they sort of find a way to get out of it together. And I, I've always kind of heard that Chewie has this life debt that he owes Han, and therefore he, he's willing to sacrifice himself for him and, and stick up for him and whatever. And it was really satisfying for me to sort of get the origin of their bromance and get the origin of like that life debt. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into this a little bit more when we get into our last segment, but I've been reading the Dr. Afra comics and mm-hmm. Dr. Afra has a Wookiee sidekick 
in yeah. mo- most of the early issues. And the Wookiee sidekick is not exactly Dr. Aphra's friend. She owes him a debt. And therefore, he follows her around and keeps her safe and keeps her alive so that she can earn the money back to pay the debt. So there's mm. something about Wookiees and <laughs> the way that they link themselves to people or other beings to some end. So for, for Chewbacca, it's like, you helped me out of the situation. I was in this mud pit. I would have died there. And so therefore, I will live for you and, and, and help you have a good life. But this, this Wookiee in the comic book is like, no, look, you owe me. The only way I'm going to get what you owe me is if I risk my life so that you can live, so that you can do whatever you got to do to be able to pay off your debt to me, which is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't think you... Did you really get much of that life debt from that scene, though? Not not really. So I, I think that that has sort of been built in over the years. But what I yes. think is like, look, they wouldn't have gotten out of there alive. You know, maybe it's part of the Kessel run that, that makes Chewie think, I've got this life debt to him. Because that was where he helped to free a lot of the other... Uh, oh, yeah, Kashyyyk you're right. Them. You're right. You're right. Right? So maybe... Maybe he's looking at like you helped me do this thing. Like, yeah, we did the Kessel Run together, and yeah, we we did the Axiom. But you, you kind of saved the life of a lot of my friends, mm-hmm. right? And now I owe you for that. Yeah. So may, I'm that maybe I love that. Um, I'm gonna go with that instead. <laughs> um, yeah, dude, that 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 is a terrific reading on that moment. And by the way, we can jump around. We don't have to go chronologically oh, totally. the movie. Well, I mean, we're already, gosh, we're already over an hour in and we okay. have so much more to talk about well, this thing. Yeah, we can we can speed it up a little bit. So let's let's talk about uh, the train heist for a minute though because there's something that's really important about that. It's such a really good scene. By, by the way, I, I, I often wonder if people make it through our whole episodes or like if our listeners, because we're so relaxing and chill, if, yeah. they, if they've all fallen asleep by now. <laughs> Maybe. Let's just talk a little slower like this and see what happens. No. Uh, too exciting about the, excited about this movie to talk like that. <laughs> but let's talk about the train nights for a little bit. Right? Oh, my gosh. Like, And that was, remember, that was in the trailer. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that got people really hyped for the movie. Oh, yeah. The, the, the train is really cool. And like the speeder bikes flying around. And it's clear that they're doing some kind of heisty thing. And they're fighting on it. And it was just like such a good action scene yeah and this is a uh a, a tie to western movies a bit like dave filoni tips his hat to you yeah he well, it, yeah and this was a, probably someone's idea that likes western movies for yeah. sure because it, it's kind of got this uh it's a train heist right but it's in space yeah. <laughs> it's it's on a different planet it's on this really cool contraption and train that kind of has two sides to it i, I love the, like, the visual i'm just I'm, I'm picturing the people at like lucasfilm disney whatever like storyboarding and like some guy there with like a bootlace tie is like you know, you know train heists. Yeah. How about space train heists? <laughs> and people went. People just like dropped their cups of coffee, and they're like, "Yeah, that's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it." <laughs> it's making me wonder if somebody's nickname in that group was Butch Cassidy or something. You Butch know? <laughs> Cassidy in the space train heist. Yeah, it's Tobias. But the 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 piece of that that I really like is when you meet Emphis Nest. Oh my gosh. That, that's where I wanted to get to emphasis. And one of the things that I love about it is the music. Mm. So I looked it up. They actually got a Bulgarian women's choir to sing that. Oh. And so I, I guess the language they're singing is Bulgarian. I got to look into that further. But it, the the shrill sound of these high-pitched voices coming together in these these really interesting tones really paints this character really well for me. And, and kind of tips with the hat that this isn't, we all think this is a male character. 
Oh, like I thought this was a male character from the beginning, like the deeper voice and things like that. I thought it was a woman, but I thought it was really, a, yeah, I thought it was oh, a much more, older woman, more perceptive than I am then. Good. Cause I, I was just like, Oh, I, I guess this is a man. I, I thought that was kind of the character and that she's more than what you see on the surface. Mm-hmm. You find out she's actually a rebel. She's not, uh, just an insurgent or she's not just a, uh, another bounty hunter or something like yeah. that. She's a rebel. And so it's not everything that you think from the beginning. And so really interesting character, but I know you love Emphis Nest. I, I do. I do. And I think, um, you know, as, as we were preparing for the episode, one of the things that I reflected upon was when you see Han Solo in the original trilogy, when he connects with Luke and Obi-Wan, he gets tied up in a way that he can't sort of undo himself from the core events of the galaxy of star Wars. Like he's a key part of the future of what happens to the rebels, to the empire. Like he, he's really sort of linked into things. Hmm. And I was thinking back to that. And, and when I was watching this movie, in my opinion, now up until the point where he meets Enfys nest, he's a background character in the galaxy. Yeah. On, on, on Corellia. He's just another kid trying to survive on the street. Even when he gets off Corellia, he's just another person in the Imperial Infantry, and he's sort of cannon fodder. But when he cross crosses paths with Enfys Nest, he's crossing paths for the first time with the Rebellion, mm-hmm. which is something that is going to decide the course and fate of the galaxy in some way. It plants a seed in his mind of the Rebellion, and he serves it for the first time. So it yeah. proves... He's not just a self-serving character mm-hmm. that's out to score big, which is kind of the motivation for him the whole way through the movie. Like he wants to, jo- he's comfortable joining the, uh, Crimson Dawn. Yeah. Right? He's totally bought into that lifestyle actually. And and even as a moment with Kira, he's like, I'm, I'm a scoundrel. I'm a bad guy. Like I, I'm not one of them. And she calls him out on it. And she calls him out totally on it. And guess what? He ends up helping them. Yeah. He realizes, you know, this is bigger and what they've gone through and suffered is bigger than me. I need to support them. And you finally see that Han's willing to serve the greater good. Yeah. It it doesn't really change his character at all. Mm-hmm. He cannot be changed, but it plants a seed in him that will serve us later on. Because without that, would he have come back to help destroy the first Death Star? Who knows? Yeah. So Emphis Nest, I think, is a really cool character that hopefully we get to learn more about. As yes. time goes on, because I certainly want to. I think that would be a terrific comic book series, the Cloud Riders, video game, other other media would be well served to have some emphasis content. I wanted to ask you a couple a couple of questions. Sure. So Dryden Voss, mm. Paul Bettany's character. Yeah. Another thing that I talked about with my cousin sitting outside in like a cafe in Edinburgh was that he was unhappy with Paul Bettany. Um, oh really? Because apparently the original. I guess treatment for the film had Dryden Voss being some kind of reptilian villain. And okay. he thought that that would have been especially cool. And, and I tend to agree that part of the movie that didn't land well for me, or I shouldn't say that, that, that maybe didn't live up to the hype was Dry, uh, Dryden Voss and Paul Bettany as the villain. I felt like it could, that it could have been more sinister. I think they could have done some other stuff with it. Um, yeah. he well, feeling- and he was a late ad. Right. So it, it was sort of the, something that they, they patched on a little bit later on. So it wasn't this really big deliberate thing from the start. Yeah. Um, so that was that was one of the few things in the movie that was like, ah, a little bit of a miss for me. Like, just not quite enough okay. of a I, villain. I, and I think that's fair. Did you know, actually, that Paul Bettany begged to be in the movie? 
Uh, I I believe it. I've I've also begged. Yeah, I but mean, they called him back. <laughs> Paul Benny has a little bit more uh, sway, I think, when it comes I guess. To, to trying to get roles. But uh, he's got quite the resume, right? But he, yeah, I get that point. But I I thought he was introduced so well. Like the first thing that you see him do is is killing the governor, right? Like he's evil from the beginning. Yeah, he's and pretty. He's, also, he's very cold. Yeah, but he's also kind of like it's so ingrained in who he is. He can still smile. He can still kind of go about and be so kind of calm. And I yeah. like the part where he's with Tobias Beck and he's like, test me because mm-hmm. he gets so impatient with him. He just mm-hmm. loses it at that moment. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a firecracker waiting to go off. Yep. Uh, so I really like a lot of those things about his character. And I think if we would have gotten more, if it was more developed a bit, that people would have responded to him better. Yeah. But you get this bit of him at the beginning, and he's he's the head honcho guy that sends him on their Kessel Run quest. And then at the end, you've got to destroy him. Yeah. Right? He is a piece to the story of Kira. Yes, more a than big anything. piece. That's really it, right? Yep. How she eventually ascends to power yeah. and ends up leading Crimson Dawn. Which is interesting because I think when she's on Corellia... She wants to abandon this lifestyle. Mm-hmm. She wants nothing to do with it. Yep. Then as the three years go by where she's not with Han, she continues to be in this lifestyle. She gets eventually sold to Crimson Dawn as a slave mm-hmm. and rises to the ranks to be Dryden Voss's lieutenant. And in all of that, has to come to terms with, this is my life now. I, there's no escaping this. And she's, she's branded. Yeah, she's branded, basically. And th- I think that branding is partly of what does it she's she's mentally ruined from these experiences Mm -hmm. where she just accepts that this is life and it almost becomes something that she wants Mm -hmm. right now she's leading crimson dawn she went from slave to leading crimson dawn i mean probably doesn't get much better than that in that world yeah right you're the right hand to darth maul of all people so that's the first time we talk about that reference by the way (laughs) yeah so i mean i think there's a lot of things that are great about dryden voss but at the end of the day, it's really to serve her story, which is her accepting this life, killing Dreyvoss, lying about what happened, so that she can stay in that position of power. And a lot of things people think that it was heartless what she did and leaving Han there and not going with him and things like that. She would have just been hunted down, mm-hmm. and she realized that nobody knew who Han was, so. She was being merciful and letting him go. Right. That, that's that. That's the safest thing for him. It is. And it's heartbreaking mm-hmm. to watch her leave and think, oh, what could have been? I mean, we're all okay with yeah. where he landed with Leia. But it is it is kind of gut-wrenching. But you have to look at it from that angle. Like, what was she thinking? She's not being a jerk. Yeah. She's actually trying to save his life. Yeah. That, that's a really good point. I also wanted to ask you to jump back again. What do you think about Lando? What do you think about there the first we time we meet him? The first time we see the Millennium Falcon? Look, Lando, sorry, I was taking a sip of water there. Lando <laughs> is one of the most iconic characters, and it's so hard to pull him off in uh, Donald Glover, mm-hmm. right? Probably one of the you know, most versatile uh, actors and musicians, right? He's, he can do it all. He can do stand-up comedy. Yeah. He can, do, he can do straight-up comedic TV. He's, he's so good as Lando. He pulls yeah. it off, and he pulls off a, a version of Lando. Remember, these are all, this is all before they make it big. Right, Lando mm-hmm. is not not leading in Bespin on Cloud City yet. 
He's not barren, whatever, but he's, he's dressed gambler. like it. He's dressed to the nines. He's got he's, his, he's got a he's closet got full of awesome capes. Yeah. And he's so suave and so cool. But at the end of the day, he's kind of a pushover too. Yeah. Right. Like if bias can push him around that line that he says, he's like, I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I accept it. Yeah. That's what I say every Monday morning. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I accept that today is Monday. So he's, he's kind of this character, which I feel is is the young version of Lando that I've always wanted to see. Yeah. And I love seeing the Sabacc table. Yeah. That's probably one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah. And honestly, what do, what do you think about that scene? I, I love that scene too. I, I like the um, the alien diversity around the table. Best uh, part of it. I, I like their back and forth. They just, they look so young to me because, you know, you grow up and you first see the original trilogy and then you feel like you're seeing them as kids and you get to see yeah. sort of their prototypical versions of themselves. Like, it's like it's like baby han baby lando squaring off for the first time um and and it's really entertaining and i i was laughing out loud in the theater when you realized that the millennium falcons impounded yeah it's it's not like (laughs) he's he's legally parked it it's not like he's got it parked in his own private parking spot and you know with all the fanfare and and and, you know white glove service that comes with that no it's it's booted basically it's locked up yep and going back to like to the sabacc table for a minute too uh, the the banter between Han and him is great, and it's showing him to be kind of this cheat, mm-hmm. right? At the game, um, Sabacc is actually a really interesting game that I would love to get my hands on. It, it just looks like it's really fun to play. And oh, can you buy like a Sabacc deck? You can, yeah. Oh. So and and I kind of did some reading up. So it's basically like the green cards are plus points, and there's like plus one, plus two, all the way up to like plus ten. And then the red cards are the exact opposite, where it's negative points, and the goal is to get as close to zero as possible, or to get to zero. Oh. Uh, so, and, and there's like different, you know, hands, kind of like poker, like different hands that are of different value based on how close you are to zero, how you got to zero with the higher you know, point cards and things like that. So uh, it looks like it's a lot of fun. And then there's dice, uh, dice that are involved where if you roll the dice and they land on the same, I don't know if it ones, let's say, mm-hmm. then you have to discard all your, your hand and start uh-huh. fresh. Okay. So it's always getting interesting. Uh-huh. Uh, looks so cool to play. Uh, and what I love by the end too is. You know, after the Kessel run is over and he's destroyed the ship, Han has, and he goes, I hate you, right? (laughs) And he leaves. That was the last thing that ever happens between them. And then Han's like, I'm going to get that ship. And he goes and he finds him, Mm -hmm. right? And what does Lando do but get so giddy and excited like, Han, my boy, you're back, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's happy to see him, like forgets all about the Kessel, forgets what he did to his ship. Back to being the charming schmoozer. Yep, exactly. It's so fitting to Lando's character. So yeah, Donald Glover really does a great job. Yeah, he nails it. Um, One one of the things that I got a huge kick out of was seeing the Millennium Falcon new, fresh, clean, and fully intact. And then watch it slowly get torn apart. And then see it get beat to crap. Yeah. It looks it looks fantastic at first. Like, oh, it's so pristine. It's white on the inside. Yep. It's got the, the capes. All and the, all the padding and like the tunnels is perfectly clean and intact and everything just looks like it just came out of the box. Can I be honest? I didn't like that at first. Really? The first time I saw it, it wasn't until this watch where I started to warm up to it when I realized, I, I mean, I liked that it was new. Mm-hmm. That was fine. But the shape of it, I didn't like the the, the front of it. Did the you know had like it came to a nose? Like, yeah, that surprised me. It did surprise me, right? And even like with the white, it basically just shows that Han does not know how to take care of his stuff. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as he gets it, it 
goes downhill fast. Well, every every beater old truck that you see on the road was once a brand new off the factory assembly line truck that was pristine inside and clean and whatever. And then some Han Solo gets his hands on it <laughs> and drives it into the ground. Totally so. right. And that's exactly what we see here. So, but But I eventually grew to love it a lot more because... I, I realized what it the purpose it was serving to kind of tell the different story of how Lando is and what he yep. cares about, which is yep. that lifestyle and the, the, the suave swagger, pristine, you know, look. And then it shows Han, who's just like, I don't care about any of that. I just need a good ship that gets me from A to B. Right. right. Very, very practical. Yeah, exactly. Um, he does, he does hype it up though. It's, it's funny that Han doesn't, doesn't take it to get uh, a wash and wax every week or whatever, but yeah, he does hype it up as being the fastest ship and whatever. You know, he talks about it like it's this wonderful thing, but then he sort of like kicks around, beats it up, and it's kind of held together with duct tape and <laughs> chewing gum and whatever. Totally, yeah. You know, I'm I'm trying to think of what else uh, what else we haven't talked about with this movie. L three comes to mind. L three. Warwick Davis comes to mind. Warwick Davis is actually in this movie twice. Is he? So I know he's a cloud rider. Who yeah. else is he? Uh, apparently he's in the, the scene when they're playing Sabacc. He's one of the, uh, Get the aliens. Wow. Yeah. I think like the rabbit looking alien. I, I, I've seen a couple of videos of him, by the way, where he gets the phone call, meaning from his agent or somebody at Lucasfilm calls and says, Hey, we're making another one of these. Do you want to be in it? And yeah. one of the things I love about Warwick Davis, who seems like a really interesting guy, he did, he did a show with Ricky Gervais, um, a few years ago that I need to go back and rewatch. But for, for any of you who don't know, Warwick Davis is a little person who has who's from Great Britain who's been involved in Star Wars since the very beginning. I think he was a teenager when he was uh, in in his first Star Wars movie, which I don't I'm not sure if it was A New Hope, but it was in the original trilogy. Um, I thought it was just Return of the Jedi, but I could be mistaken. I I think you might be right. I think it might just be Return of the Jedi, but uh, he's he plays Ewok. Okay, yeah, but he he's been involved in Star Wars ever since and. Uh, one of the things that I just think is really endearing is I've seen a couple of these videos and, and they seem very real, authentic to me. He's like genuinely moved when they call. Like he's really excited. <laughs> like he's he's probably like as excited as if I got the call. Well, you know? I, I, it's probably a surreal thing where he's like, you you guys want me every single time? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I think you. he's really flattered. Yeah. I, I can imagine that. I mean, I, I would be too if I was getting calls for every movie. Yeah. Uh, Anthony Daniels, basically. Right, right. Who is in this movie too? Who, who does he play? Uh, uh, he's actually, I think this might be the only one where you actually see Anthony Daniels' face, if I'm not mistaken. Is he like in the party scene? No, I'm... he's in Kessel. Really? He's like, as as all the droids and the, you know, everybody's leaving and kind of... And the Wookiees are running lines. out and whoever, yeah. Wookiees, right. Yeah, I think he's one of them is what I've heard. I, I, I need to like, okay. some eagle eye pointed out, I need to go back and look. But we, we, We've actually got the movie on now, and it's actually the In the, the scene, Kessel scene. Yep, where, where uh, Chewie's about to go and liberate some of his friends, which is a, a really cool moment. But Totally. Um, uh, there's, there is one thing, unless this will be the point I end on, I think, and, and then if you, you have some points, uh, I'd love to hear let, more. Let, let's end on this point. So this is the point I kind of alluded to earlier, which is the lessons that Han Solo was taught in this movie. And he's taught a lot by these people. Because you mentioned, he's still kind of in his adolescence. He's probably early 20s, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So he's got first Beckett, who teaches him when he's on Mimbin. He just goes, get as far away from the war, basically, as you can. And I think he takes that to heart. 
in a lot of ways. Like, he doesn't want to fight in this war. When it's time to go and fight the Death Star, he's out of there. He doesn't want to go. So I think you see that lesson play out later on when mm-hmm. he's just like, he's there to help and, and do his part, but he wants to serve a different purpose, his own purpose, nobody yeah. else's. He only answers to himself. Mm-hmm. He's reluctantly there to save Leia. He, he's not even there to save Leia, right? He's just kind of along for the ride, doing the job and getting on with his life. So I think he kind of takes that lesson to heart a bit. Do you agree? I, I, I do. Yeah. You sort of see it in the exchange between the actors. Like that really hits him. And something about that stays with him. So, yeah, I, I can see that. Good. All right. I'm not off my rocker then. No. Because I've got a few more of these to go through. Keep them coming. And then you got Rio. And yeah. Rio's on his... No, he's just been shot. And Han goes up there and starts piloting the craft. And Rio goes to him, it's no good to die alone. Mm. As, like, his last words to Han. That's heavy. It's heavy. And it's really tough because he was... Rio is kind of this happy-go-lucky character that's just a wisecracker and saying yeah. fun jokes. And and then all of a sudden he's on his deathbed, you know, and that mood changes. And he just says, it's it's no good to die alone, kid. Hmm. And I think he takes that one to heart, too. Yeah. I think that impacts him, right? I think that's part of why he wants, you know, the family life and eventually settles down with Leia hmm. a bit, right? Again, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's that's well said. That that kind, That scene kind of shocked me when we yeah. first saw it. Because I thought Rio was sort of going to be kind of like the sidekicky character who carries through the whole movie and, and maybe beyond that. And like you said, he's just sort of like the wisecracky sort of comedy relief sidekick character. So to see him die and die sad yeah, in front of Han Solo committing this heist was really jarring. And yeah. I, I thought Alden played that well in the way that his facial expressions and he's just sort of like flushed with sadness and like just disbelief that this is what's happening in front of him. He yells out to him, you know, stay with me at one point, but then, you know, it's obvious that he's, he's gone. Yeah. And just like really kind of painful scene. That, so is. that shocked me because that's pretty early in the movie that happens. Yeah. And you don't expect to be losing some of these characters that quickly. I no. mean, you know that if you don't see them later on in these trilogies that they must be gone and that, that, that's something that Rogue One taught us. <laughs> yeah, true. Right? So you, you do anticipate some of that. By the way, here's the scene where apparently Anthony Daniels is running out. So okay. he's somewhere people, in there. People's faces are veiled and stuff, so he could be any one of them. Yeah, we will pause it and go through it if we can. Anyway, so that 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 was a, a good lesson I think he took to heart. And here's another one, which I think he absolutely did. And this was Beckett. Remember the line, assume that everyone will betray you and you will never be disappointed. Yep. And, and at the very end, he shoots Beckett. Han shot first. Yep. And do you remember what Beckett says to him? Good move, kid. I was going to shoot. I was going to kill yeah, you. He, said, he says something like, that was the smartest thing you've ever done. I was yeah. going to kill you first chance I got. Yep. He goes, you were paying attention. Mm-hmm. I taught you well. Mm-hmm. And he's almost proud of him in that moment. It's really interesting. Yeah, it's, it's so twisted, but you're right. You're right. He is sort of like swollen up with pride a little bit that this kid listened to me. And, and I love it that after Han does that, he, he didn't want to do that. He didn't. He, he would have. He saw him as Becca was his role model. Yeah. He wanted to, you know, continue to, to serve alongside him and do jobs with him, and and that would have made him happy. He 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 almost comforts him a little bit. Yes. But Beckett says, you know, I was I was going to go learn to play the ballacord or whatever it's the called. Ball, yeah. And, and then I, immediately after he dies, guess what? Kira leaves and rips his heart out once again. Yeah. This he's is right. a hard time for Han. I know. So Beckett is there. Like freshly deceased, like a few seconds ago, and you start to see the ship pull away. And and who's the only person left with him at that point? Han or uh, Chewie. Chewie. 
Yeah. And I think that's what really makes this relationship so special is yeah. that in his deepest, darkest moment, Chewie is there. Yeah. And that's, I, I think, part of the reason they have such a deep relationship. Yeah. And that is a lovely, lovely note to end on. Well, I do. Oh, you've a, got more. I've got more. Sorry. <laughs> I've got a couple more. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Dang it. You, you're right. We need to move on. All right. Kira teaches him a few lessons. And these are maybe, yeah, I've got three more. Uh, everyone serves someone was the lesson that uh-huh. she taught him. Uh-huh. And I think that eventually just more alludes to her experience. And now she, she's serving right now Dryden Voss and then eventually is going to be serving Maul. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a lesson that she's picked up. Then she also says, as they're about to go up and meet with Dryden Voss, uh, the object isn't to win, it's to stay in the game as long as you can. Mm. And I think that's a lesson that Han has taken to heart in a lot of his uh, his heists or jobs that he's taken, right? It's, you know, when he lost his son later on, Ben Solo, when, when he turned to the dark side, he went back to what he knew best, the game. Mm-hmm. He went to go find the Millennium Falcon. He He went back to smuggling and doing all that because to him it was just about staying in the game. Kira taught him that. Wow. You know, he keeps that with him forever. And then Emphis Nest is the final one I'll mention, which is don't just steal for ruthless criminals, steal for a cause and steal for a purpose. And I think when when Han learns what happened to the people there and not being able to speak, right, and being the you know, having their tongues cut out, basically, yeah. uh, that impacts him. Mm-hmm. And he thinks about that and he's like, yeah, I don't want to, that's not what I want to be serving. I, if I'm going to be a criminal and if I'm going to be a smuggler, I'm going to at least try to do it as honorably as I can. Yeah. <laughs> and and I think he takes that to heart. And then, like we said, it plants a seed for the rebellion too. It, I think the story of Han in this movie is about taking those lessons, internalizing them. At the very beginning, one of my favorite shots is of his eyes. It, it has a close-up of his eyes and he's scared. Mm-hmm. You can tell by his facial expression, he's just scared. Like things are not very well for him. He doesn't really love this life and, and he's kind of a scared kid. And then by the time you're doing the Kessel Run, it does another zoom in on his eyes, and they're confident. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's, he's hyper focused and intense. Yeah, yeah. And the way that they do those shots, and they're just very quick moments, but I think that they're telling the story of Han's character is evolving. These lessons are becoming ingrained in who he is, and he's going from the scared boy on Corellia mm-hmm. to this confident young man who is going to be handed much many more life lessons to come, but is going to take him on with a more confident, independent head. And that's the Han Solo that we eventually come to know and love. And that is a terrific Notendo. <laughs> you were waiting for it. You're like, and make your point. No, no, that was, go on. that's all really good stuff. Um, <laughs> so let's, before we transition into the fandom section, where today we're going to be going a little bit deeper on comic books, thanks to uh, Chris Ryan's and our bros at Proaxium, I, I did have one surprise for you that I forgot to give you. Uh-oh. And we haven't done a surprise for each other in a while. We haven't, but I'm, I'm bringing it back now. You actually know about this one. So I, I texted you over the weekend when I saw this in, in a shop somewhere. But we were talking earlier about how the holidays are coming, yeah. my favorite time of year. Yeah. And I, I picked something up for you. Oh, gosh. I, I don't even remember what it was. Oh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this picture. <laughs> the uh, the advent calendar. Yeah. T- tell, them, tell them what it is. All right, everyone. This is a Mandalorian with the child advent calendar. So on, I guess, December 1st, I will start eating a lot of chocolate, milk chocolates. <laughs> and you have one, too. Uh, and I have one, too. Um, and it says, uh, so the, man, the Mandalorian is sort of following uh, the child on the cover. Uh, and the child is in his uh, floating egg pram. And it says on the front of it, the child, 50-year-old bounty, exclamation point. <laughs> 
Uh, on the back, we've got a nice uh, we got a nice maze. But uh, yeah, so every every day, if you're not familiar with what an advent calendar looks like, every day there's a little window that you break and open it up, and it's a countdown to Christmas, and and you take out a piece of chocolate every day. Yeah. And if uh, other advent calendars are any indication of how good the chocolate is, it's probably not going to be great. It's not going to be good. <laughs> They're never good. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know the process of opening up uh, the calendar every day because. Uh, by the time we start opening this, we're going to have some Mandalorian to talk some about. four or five episodes yeah. of the Mandalorian. So we're probably going to be really hyped for it. Oh, yeah. And this will just get us more hyped. Sugar yeah. in the bloodstream. So enjoy that. Thank you, bud. Appreciate it. No sweat. <laughs> All right. Let's get back to comics, though. Yes. So we, we've already talked a bit about our experience going down to Atomic City Comics on South Street in Philadelphia and meeting up with our, our bro, Chris Ryan's. We've mentioned that we are not pros in this space, but we aspire to at least be conversant in comics. And and dude, I don't know about you, but we we picked up a bunch, right? I got four, and I, then he gave us some too. Yeah. Um, and when I say four, I got four volumes. Yeah. I I I actually just ordered one online. Um, this, oh yeah. This morning because I, I I wrapped I wrapped up reading one of my volumes, and I was just like, I I, I gotta know what happens yeah. next. So I I think we're gonna be probably. I don't know. Like, I feel like I might become a diehard fan. I don't know about you. Oh, totally. Well, because one of the things that I love about watching the movies is the characters and their stories and wanting to know what else happens. Yeah. And this, I feel like is giving me more. So the, the comic that I picked up and started reading was the Darth Vader, uh, Gillen series. Um, this is basically taking place right after uh, a new hope, right after the death star is destroyed and following Darth Vader, and his story from there. And it's intense. And, you know, I know that another Darth Vader comic just came out this week, and we got a glimpse of that from Bro Axiom. And, dude, Palpatine, I've always known that he's a jerk, but these comics just really show how big of a jerk he is. Yeah. <laughs> like, he is mean to Vader, and it's all in the effort to teach him. Yeah. Like, and the, the, kind of the philosophy of the Sith is to help them release their anger, and sometimes that means making them angry at him, right? At Palpatine. Yeah, which so, is pretty, it feels pretty cruel from oh, it's so cruel and um, an authority figure like that. But I, I think what, what you're kind of uh, hinting at here is like these stories are really well written. Yeah. It's all really well put together. Yeah. I, and you mentioned to me, like, I feel like I got to, I'm quoting you now. Uh, I feel like I've got to read these differently than I read a book, you know, and, and it, it's true. Like I actually have to imagine what the sound effects and what's happening in the music or something as it's, as it's unfolding before my eyes. Yeah. Cause otherwise I can just quickly read through it and go, okay, I got the story, but I didn't really get the same feel out of it. But if I start to like almost imagine the set, the scene a little bit and yeah. envision what's happening and playing it, you know, playing it out actually in my mind, it becomes much more intense and exciting and yeah. You know, Bud gets pumping. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I was trying to figure out like, all right, I, I'm not reading this like a book. It's a visual story, but it's not quite a movie because the way the sort of like the, the different tiles and like scenes sort of piece together and the way your eye kind of floats around the pages and it's, it's all just so well constructed. Um, but it's not like reading. So I, I, I I think I said to the Broaxium guys, and yeah, I definitely said to you, like, I need to, I feel like I need to sort of get the hang of reading yeah. comic books, um, but I'm really enjoying trying. So I, I picked up uh, Dr. Afra, and I'm going to grab my copy here. 
So Doctor Afra uh, actually shows up. You told me in in, in, in this. Yep, exactly. In, in Darth I think Vader. she's introduced in this one. Cool. Uh, so Doctor Afra, uh, for anybody who's not familiar, and I certainly wasn't, is as far as I know, she's the first uh, Star Wars universe archaeologist that yeah. I've heard of, and. Not only is she an archaeologist uh, and sort of an Indiana Jonesy type character, but ima- imagine uh, Indiana Jones if Indiana Jones was completely amoral. And Indiana Jones in, in the films uh, has a moral compass, and he knows right from wrong. And Doctor Afra, uh, perhaps she knows right from wrong, but she's really sort of out for herself. She loves Vader. Like, oh yeah. When she meets Vader for the ter- first time, she kind of gets giddy, like, "Oh my gosh, you're Vader! I know who you are. You are so cool!" Oh wow. Okay. You know, she's excited to meet Vader and 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 loves the tales that she's heard. So she's a fan. Cool. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we get glimmers in one of these issues, and I think I have issues one through six here in this little volume where Doctor Afra shows a little bit of a conscience, but you can see that she's fighting it. She's kind of biting it back. She doesn't. Yeah. She doesn't want to do the right thing if it doesn't completely serve her. Uh, so that that's really sort of interesting to see. But I love again, I love the idea of an archaeologist in the Star Wars universe because she's going around and collecting priceless artifacts from long, long ago, including Jedi things mm-hmm. and basically selling them. And, and the, everything is sort of ill gotten. So the way that she becomes Dr. Afra, the way that she finishes like her graduate school program or whatever is super shady. The way that she gets her hands on things typically is pretty shady. So, but but again, she shows moments of softness where she has a heart, and that conflict I think is going to play out in a really interesting way. So, the one other thing I'll say about Doctor Afra that I think is really entertaining are her two homicidal psycho droid sidekicks. Yeah. <laughs> so she's got like an eve, almost like an evil C three PO and R two D two. She's got a protocol droid and she's got an astromech droid and all they want to do is just kill and torture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like the protocol droid like jokes about it and yeah. he has a fun time with the idea of harming people. If you haven't listened to our droids episode, go back and listen to that one because we talk about uh, sort of what droids can and can't do. This one has all those protocols are removed. Yes. All those protocols are removed and he's basically... Um, having the time of his life, life in quotes, just harming people and talking about harming people. So yeah. that that so she's traveling around with those guys, those droids, and like I mentioned, that that Wookiee who is keeping her alive because she owes the Wookiee money. Yeah. <laughs> so I will pass this off to you. I finished uh, volume one, and awesome. you take that and you give that a read and let me know what you think. And I've finished volume one of the Darth Vader Yellen series, so I will pass this off to you. And awesome. You let me know what you think as well. Thank you. Uh, I will be starting this one and volume two of that series very soon because I got to the end of that one and want to know more. And I, I won't spoil anything. We will save. How about this? We will save our full uh, run through of each of these comics for uh, and each of these series for another episode and yeah. do one actually, and maybe even invite uh, one of our more expert bros at this yeah. to discuss it because, you know, we'll take a, a beginner's vantage point with this and they'll take a completely different one. But I think you'll really enjoy that one. It's awesome. got a lot of good action in it and it's exciting and you get to see some droids, uh, droid army come back and cool. Vader just being Vader. He's, pretty uh that's what we he's, like he's in a tough place in this okay which i kind of imagine like after the death star is destroyed you would imagine that he's in hot water with his boss yeah right <laughs> that's fair <laughs> so that's fair. we get to see how hot that water is yeah so 
That'd the, be a good point to end on. I, I'll, I'll very much look forward to that. Um, the one thing that I'll say is I'll probably start this after um, I read the Lando. Oh yeah, comics because I, I bought volume one of Lando, which I think is the first six uh, issues of of his story, and apparently that's terrific too. So I loved. So the, these are all, by the way, these are recommendations after an in depth conversation with Chris Ryan's, who sort of consultatively took us through the rack of books and you know recommended Doctor Afra, nailed that recommendation. Uh, said that he loved Lando, so I'm sure he nailed that one too. So I'm, I think I'm going to start that, and then I'll, I'll dive into Vader. But um, awesome. we're loving this stuff so far. Yeah, really appreciate it, guys. We we really thank you for uh, uh, for not only finding us and listening to us and letting us find you and listen to you as well, but for giving us some good material to keep our knowledge of the galaxy growing and flourishing. So yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, guys. So that'll do it for our eighth episode yeah uh anything else that you want to say before we go so let me think uh so as always uh with real gratitude from the bottom of our hearts uh you know ben and i can't believe that people will set aside time in their day to listen to our podcast so you know whether you are one of our friends who know us uh personally or you are somebody who kind of found us on twitter or you're somebody in one of those faraway places in the world that we see pop up in our, our metrics every now and then where they're it's New Zealand or Australia or Hong Kong or the UK, Brazil, France. You know, we're, we're getting listeners from all over the world. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Uh, we're just so excited that that people care enough to give our show a listen. And we love connecting with you and we love hearing from you. So hit us up on Twitter at Starbros Podcast. Yep. Um, we're on Facebook. Uh, we're the Starbros Podcast on Facebook. You can email us at what's the email the star bros podcast at gmail.com at gmail got it and if you like the show uh whatever your platform is whether it's apple Podcasts or whatever hit subscribe and and then that way you'll get the newest episodes when they become available and leave us a review if you like the show because that that helps the show out a lot too so thank you thank you from the bottom of our hearts uh we are so appreciative of the fact that we get to connect with you guys and like chris ryan's said it'll stick with me forever this show helps us connect with our people which yep. I just absolutely love. Hey, there was Chewbucky. Yeah, that's right. I he just hasn't, heard him. He hasn't <laughs> made, he an, made appearance an appearance. In what? Yes. <laughs> Chewbucky's expressing his gratitude. <laughs> uh, um, a thank you as well to our buddies at the Evan Four for providing the music as always, and to Bro Axiom as well, bring, uh, adopting us into their family. We, we're grateful to be part of it and grateful to have all of you fans along the ride with us. So thank you. Yeah, thank you guys. Is, is it my turn to? I think it should be your turn. What do you want to say? Okay. <clears throat> It's a wrap! <laughs> <laughs>